Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my new friend that we're just meeting for the first time, Rebecca Buffington. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Thank you. And for our listeners, to give you an overview of this podcast, this is a podcast with a mixed faith marriage. I call that one person being a believing member of the church and one person not believing in the church. And that's the road that Rebecca Buffington and her good husband, Jed, Jeb, J-E-B, have found themselves in. They've been married for 20 years, and uh, Jeb's been a non-believer for 15 years. So Rebecca will bring a perspective of a spouse that's been on this road, not for one year, not for two years, but for 15 years. And I thought it would be really helpful for her to tell her story. Uh, They have four children, um, ages 10 through 18, three boys and a girl, and they're on vacation in Utah, but they, in real life, they live in Atlanta, Georgia, where the humidity is a little higher. And um, so that's kind of the overview, but I just hope if you're in a mixed faith marriage, if you want to call it that, where one believes differently, I think this is a podcast that could really help you because they've kept this marriage together. And before we went live, Rebecca offered a wonderful prayer, and and I just sense her love for a husband. And this is a pretty tough road, but they have an incredible marriage that hasn't been easy. It's been stretched, and they are really close and, and doing their very best to keep their family together, even in differences. And there's a lot of couples out there in the LDS world that are walking the same road. Most of them are just starting to walk it or have walked it for a less period of time. And there's also local leaders that wondering, what do I say to these couples? I kind of want everything put back in the nice tidy box, but the reality of their situation is Jeb is a non-believer. And so what do you do as a local leader if you're trying to counsel and help a couple like this? So I think Rebecca, who I'm not letting talk yet very much, but we're going to turn the time over to do most of the talking, (laughs) share her journey. But let's start with where you grew up. Okay, I was born in Oregon or Utah, and I grew up in Oregon for part of my growing up years, and then in Boise, Idaho, I did high school. So, and would you consider yourself? Is there one as a home? It's hard to say. I always wanted to claim Oregon, but I, I was really from Boise in the end. So, yeah. And tell us how you. We're going to move right ahead. Tell us how you met Jeb, and tell us his full name. Yes, his name, his full name is James Edwin Buffington. So he goes by his initials. And uh, we met at, we both worked at telemarketing in college. And so we, we met there and um, ended up going to BYU together. And so that's how BYU Idaho or BYU Provo? Provo. And what, tell us a little bit about your courtship. Was it fast, slow? Was it one-sided? It was pretty fast, which I we're, we both have talked about. Would we ever let our kids do that? But I don't think it's our choice. So we're going to let them. But yeah, it was pretty fast. Um, six months we were married. Um, but the the second we got together, we never wanted to be apart. And so I had dated a lot in high school in Boise. We you know had a lot of good friends and um, and then we dated a lot in college and I never really committed to one person, just had fun dating. And as soon as I met him, I wanted to get rid of everyone else and just be with him. So it's a sign of a good relationship. Yes. Yes. We have a good relationship. Was Jeb, um, tell us about his church experience at that point. Was he a return missionary? Was he a believer? Was he a pretty traditional believer? I would say he was. Um, that's what I felt at the time. And, you know, his, um, I grew up with 
both my parents, um, members of the church for life and lots of family history that's pioneer heritage and all of that. And both of his parents were converts um, growing up. And so we definitely grew up differently that way. But he grew up in Ohio and his um, his family was really strong. They had eight kids and um, all six boys served missions and everything. But Where did Jeb serve? He served in Montreal, Canada. And I think we would have had Jeb with you, but it just wasn't possible. So I think our listeners might wonder, why isn't Jeb here telling his story? And we yeah. just couldn't logistically pull that off. <laughs> and he knows I'm doing this. So <laughs> so there you go. Um, so what year were you married and how old were you? I was 20, almost 21. And we were married in 1999 um, in the Mount Timpanogos Temple. So we were married in the temple. That is great. And then tell us about... Um, you've been married 20 years, I think you said. Yeah, coming up in two weeks. <laughs> It'll be and, 20 years. And tell us when Jeb started to open up with you about his feelings about the church. Sure. So we, at the time we had, um, five years into our marriage, we had two kids, a three-year-old and one-year-old. And I would say back then I was a little more judgmental and very strict about everything we watched and everything we did music, which is good. Um, but there were times that I was a little controlling that way or little things I would say, like, have you done your home teaching yet? And we lived in Utah at that time. And, um, he came to me after kind of an, a little bit of an argument that we'd had over something we were watching. And, um, he just said that, I said, well, don't you want to listen to what the prophet says? The prophet says we shouldn't have this in our home. <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, but I, I kind of struggle to believe in that right now. And he thought the prophet was a wonderful man, but just didn't have the faith in it. And um, it was that night that he really opened up and told me he was struggling so much with his beliefs. And I had, I didn't see it coming at all. Um, because he was afraid to tell me before that. And I wish he felt safe, but I think that's a newly married couple that is figuring those things out. And if I could go back, I would try to make a safe space for him to open up about that. How, and you're doing such a good job of talking already, Rebecca, just thanks on behalf of all of our listeners, just sharing complicated stuff and even yeah. stuff where we wish all of us had done better. Mm -hmm. And that takes that's honest. And we all look back in our own marriages, our own parenting and say, well, we should we done that a little differently. So right. I think we learn from sharing stories. Um, as he opened up that night, I assume he had these feelings for a period of time. Did he tell you how long he kind of felt this way? He said he was able to share that, you know, living in Utah for a long time, I think, and I, and I don't put down Utah, there's wonderful things about it, but it was easy to get complacent a little bit. And so I think at that time, um, he was kind of feeling like some old feelings he'd had as a child coming back up, that he wasn't sure if Heavenly Father was there for him, um, because he lost his father when he was 13, and his father was only 37 years old and died of a heart attack suddenly. And of course, it really rocked his world and uh, really affected him. And so I think it just shaped how he saw the world from then. And a lot of people told him, you know, well-meaning people said, oh, now you're the man of the house. And, you know, your dad was needed on the other side. And he, and he just felt, well, I need my dad here. And uh, those things were really hard for him to hear. 
Um, and I think that's when it started shaping his struggle to connect with Heavenly Father because he had anger and grief issues and things. Um, and so as time went on, you know, he ended up serving a mission and everything and loved his mission and still loves his mission and wanted that world. His dad went to BYU and he wanted to go to BYU and he had just such a great experience that way. So looking back, I think I wished he could have told me he didn't feel great about some of those beliefs early on, but he thought he would lose me because I had grown up in the church and um, everything seemed perfect to me and I was okay with everything, you know, and he just felt scared that if I tell her she's going to be done with me because she only loves me for being a priesthood holder, you know? And it's really, so. It's really honest. Um, yeah. A couple of thoughts come to my mind. We haven't talked about this on the podcast, but I do hear sometimes the death of a young mother. <laughs> and I've heard this more with the death of a young mother, a sudden death of an active LDS mother. And this happened in the case of Jeb's father, but we say sometimes, well, they're needed more on the other side of the veil. And the more I've thought about that, that may be true. I don't want to rule that out, but I think we're just in a mortal world where stuff just happens. And I think maybe that keeps us feeling emotionally safe to not have to process the depth of someone's pain. So I say that as a kind of a non-involved party to keep everything emotionally safe for me, but I, it may keep me from fully understanding the pain that Jeb feels. Right, right. And I, I sometimes think, well, Heavenly Father has a lot of people on the other side of the veil, and only one person can be Jeb's father. And so I'm a little, just not sure how I feel that a loving Heavenly Father would take Jeb's father away from Jeb at 13 with all those young kids and need him more on the other side of the veil. I don't rule that out. Certainly don't know God's intent, but I think we just live in a mortal fallen world and stuff just happens. And and then we have to deal with the realities and of the jet road Jeb's walking. And it's a pretty brutal road to have your father suddenly taken at age 13. I agree. And, you know, he's had, of course, lots of individual experiences. Excuse me. <laughs> um, I think the greater lesson here that I would love everyone to understand is he has his own journey and his own experiences. And what helped me the most was praying to Heavenly Father to try to understand where he was and where he was coming from. And that's what gave me a lot of compassion for for him and maybe that he's not just doing this because he wants to be, you know, someone that wants to be contrary to the gospel or anything. And, and that was the understanding. And, you know, he, he may not share, and hopefully someday he can share his own story and his own journey. And he may not share that it's because his dad died that he struggles, but I prayed for understanding for him. And, and I know, I know it affected him a lot and just, just how he saw the world and how everything happened in his life after that. But he is an amazing person. And I feel like when he first struggled and told me that he was struggling with faith, I, you know, felt all the feelings of anger and frustration and how could you do this to me? And were you being honest? And who are you anyway? You know, I just had a lot of fear at first. 
Like, what would you be like? And will you start living contrary to the gospel? And how are our kids gonna, going to survive this? And um, I had a lot of fear. And I remember my, I don't know why I'm so emotional. I apologize. It's an emotional I think subject. You, I think emotions <laughs> are a sign of strength, Rebecca. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I asked my grandfather. Um, I went to him because we were in Kaysville at the time and they lived there. And I just asked him, I told them first what was going on. And he just told me to take it one day at a time and that we just don't know the future. We can't, um, can't judge what's going to happen now. Just take it one day at a time. And, and that's kind of what I've done <laughs> for the last 15 years. And uh, this really helped me a lot. So I'm just thinking of this original conversation 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know what day of the week it is. I'm imagining it's an evening for some reason. Maybe not. Yes, yes. <laughs> and what would you say to um, people that are hearing this conversation from their spouse for the first time? Because you kind of now are an expert. You don't <laughs> want to take on the expert title, but you are. Well, what would you say? I have a lot of things I would share, but I kind of heard it perfectly said just the other day, I was listening to a webinar about this. Again, these are things I wish I had back then. So for those that didn't hear this, and a lot of people know Jody Moore. Have you heard of her? No. Oh, she's, she's, she did. Um, she has a podcast better than happy and she does life coaching cool. and she awesome. has way to go. Jody Moore. She's amazing. And she has like episodes called when your spouse leaves the church and she gives a lot of great, um, information. But one of the things she shared um, that she just said it perfectly and something I've always wanted to say, but didn't have the words. And she said, um, a lot of times when our spouse lets us know they're struggling with faith, um, we leave the church too. And she doesn't mean physically. She means, um, with our beliefs, we become, she gave it three J's. She said, we become judgmental and we have, think we have a jurisdiction and we get the jitters <laughs> and it's totally it's true because that's what I dealt with for sure. And I, I judged him and immediately thought you're, you're not trying hard enough to feel the spirit. You haven't prayed enough. You haven't read the scriptures enough. You, you know, you're, you're not getting it. You didn't have a good enough, um, understanding in your upbringing or I just judged it. Um, and I also felt I had jurisdiction over our family and, and people would probably feel that, yeah, you do. That's how you were married. And that was the understanding. But, um, I've come to realize we all want our agency and it's a gift from heavenly father and we don't have jurisdiction over another person. Um, what's better is respect for each other. Um, he respecting me and my beliefs and me respecting him and what he feels. And that's a much better place to be. Um, and then the jitters, <laughs> definitely a lot of fear and unknowns of what could happen. And, um, I would say, you know, my, my parents felt the same way because we're very involved in the church. My dad's a seminary teacher and Bishop and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, everyone felt maybe some fear for all of us and they've grown along with me. They're amazing. They're amazing because they didn't know how to navigate it either. I, I think all the people we'd heard of before would their marriages would end. And I did not want that. And so when someone tells you that the advice my husband gives um, people navigating this is you don't have to work every little belief and situation out right away. Just give it time. Try to understand. Seek to understand. That's, that's a big thing for us. 
talk about, and that's a really good answer, those three J's. I love that. Um, do you talk about um, just how long it took to get to the new norm? And, um, and maybe that's still happening. <laughs> But I assume these are like stages of grief or, you know, where there's anger and there's, I don't know what exactly what the stages are and yes. denial and then acceptance and sort of this is the new norm and and probably there was a fear that this is going to end our marriage. Um, so just share with our listeners, I'm assuming if I were a spouse hearing for this first time, a couple of my fears are this is, I'm going to lose my spouse because mm -hmm. of this. He's He or she is leaving. This is going to be the end of our marriage. Absolutely. Um, yes, I had all those feelings and it is, it's a stage of grief. It's, it's a, a lot of different grief stages because you are grieving the life you thought you would have. And so I don't blame anyone for feeling that. And you should allow yourself to feel that. Um, I guess my, my advice is don't stay stuck there. Let yourself feel it, go through it, maybe get some counseling. But if you stay stuck there, you know, I had all this fear about my kids will, won't feel, won't have the gospel in their lives. And it, it was so scary and all these things. But by me not inviting the spirit and living up to my covenants that I made, the spirit would not be there. And so I had, I just had a lot of answers to prayer that I needed to love him, uh, regardless of what was going on and really work on our marriage and work on our friendship and the things that we do um, have in common. And um, the fear slowly went away. And, and and again, grief is not linear, right? And so there are times it's come back and I wasn't quite as accepting and loving <laughs> as I wanted to. If I look back now, um, when he first told me, he still came to church and um, just didn't take the sacrament or go to the temple or anything. Um, but that felt really safe to me because he was there to help me with my kids. Um, he actually held the choir calling. He was the choir director. And I always went and sang in the choir and we, I would get up there and just cry because I could sense that he felt the spirit through music, which he wouldn't recognize it that way, but I did because he would get emotional too. And um, anyway, and it was wonderful that he came and I, I thought it was great, but um, we'd always worked on our friendship so much, but as our kids got older, they, the teenagers, you know, are so busy and we started not having time to work on our friendship as much. So without the gospel to bring us together, um, we were suffering. And so about three years ago, it kind of all came to a head. And we, um, I would say, I, I never want to feel like I would have divorced him or him divorced me. We, we hated that word, of course. But it was an option, you know, it, it's always an option. And um, we decided we did not want our family once again, we'd worked so hard all those years. We did not want our family to break apart. And so um, I knew I couldn't change him. And I really worked on myself because the bottom line is I can't save him and I can't save my children. You know, salvation is individual. And that's another thing that Jody Moore talked about was exaltation is family. But how is, is a family thing? But how are you showing up? to bring your family to exaltation. And I can't judge how my husband's showing up or how my kids are. I can only control what I'm bringing to the table. So working on myself made me learn to love. And see him like the Savior does. 
And, and a big answer I had was, you know, I would never give up on one of my children. I would love them unconditionally, whether they dealt with same-sex attraction or um, not believing. I would never give up on them. So why would I give up on my husband that I love so much? And Anyway. It's a great answer. When you say you had to work on yourself, what ideas came to your mind? Oh, wow. I don't want you to be so, negative so about yourself and sort of go down <laughs> this like list of things I had to change. In my life, but you know, I just feel like we can all change, right? We can all be better. Um, I would say I was a pretty nice, good person, but but looking back, I was kind of manipulating him to come to church without realizing it. And he would never say that I was. He wouldn't say, "Oh, you're manipulating me." But you know, if he didn't come, I would f- cry or get emotional, and you know, kind of hold him hostage in a way. Um, so when we went through that struggle three years ago, again, kind of our second struggle, um, he just told me I can't be there anymore. And, uh, he shared a lot more with me and, and we decided, I realized that not everybody feels uplifted and, um, good at church. They don't have the same experience as I do. And I needed to have compassion for that and, and realize that he has his own journey. And, um, so that was really hard when he stopped coming for the first probably two or three months, I would cry every Sunday. Right. And often talk to my Bishop and just, it was really, really hard. Um, so during that time I worked on myself, I read so many conference talks that things had jumped out of me that never did before. And, um, do you mind if I share a scripture passage that is so dear to my heart because, um, Whenever I heard of um, Alma 26, I always thought of Alma 26, 12. You know, uh, I can't quote it, but boasting of the Lord's strength, you know, that, that one. I always thought of that verse, and I kind of ignored the rest, I feel like. And one day I was just having a rough time, and it was, it was during that difficult time, and I won't read all of them. At the end of that chapter, it talks about Ammon and his brothers going to teach the Lamanites. And um, my husband may not love that I still hope that he'll come back someday, but I can't help but hope because to me, the gospel is hope. And I love um, these scriptures in Alma, in Alma 26, because it says that when Alma told the other Nephites that they were going to teach the Lamanites, they were laughed to scorn is what they said. And... They thought it was ridiculous. And they said, the Lamanites are a stiff-necked, bloodthirsty people. There's no way they will accept the gospel. And they said, we should just kill them and get rid of them instead. And as I read on, I compared it so much to what I was going through. Um, they, they, They said, do you suppose we can bring the Lamanites to the knowledge of the truth? This is verse 24. There's no way that they will, you know, accept the gospel. And then they said, let's destroy them instead. But then Ammon and his brothers went in the wilderness, um, not with the intent to destroy, but to save some few of those souls. And um, I love this part in verse 27. It said, Ammon said, when our hearts were depressed and we were about to turn back, behold, the Lord comforted us and said, Go amongst thy brethren, the Lamanites, and bear with patience thine afflictions, and I will give unto you success. And I've had that experience many times where I felt 
my heart was depressed and I felt like giving up. And I, this just comforted me so much that the Lord is who I need to trust in. And I love how it continues. And it says that they went and taught them and relied on the Lord and his mercy. And then uh, I feel like this can go towards anyone, <clears throat> even just those people in Relief Society, that you're given a ministering sister and you're thinking, oh, she's not active. There's no way she's going to come back. I'll just send her a letter or whatever. Um, but I think we need to remember that even though someone seems against the church or against the gospel and um, they'll never accept it, you know, we need to have faith like Ammon did and rely on the Lord. It's not us that saves them. It's him. And they have a savior. Um, almost done with the scripture, but I loved this because he says that they suffered all manner of afflictions, that perhaps we might be the means of saving some soul. And we supposed our joy would be full if we could be the means of saving some. And then he says um, that they ended up joining, you know, believing in God and became more righteous than the Nephites by burying their weapons. And originally they were thought not even to be teachable at all. And that just gives me a lot of hope. I love that, Rebecca. It's really very thoughtful, and it's the personal revelation that you've received, and I love where the scriptures speak to you. Mm -hmm. Just a couple thoughts come to my mind is I love what you said, that um, salvation is individual. Mm -hmm. In a way, that's relieving, because if we think we're responsible for everybody else's salvation, that's pretty heavy load to carry. It is. And parents do that for their children, rightly so, and spouses do that, and parents, I guess they said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bishops do that, Release Society Prisons perhaps do that. And I think mm -hmm. what you teach is, you know, we just do the best. We just take responsibility for ourselves and do the best we can. And then we just realize these are Heavenly Father's children and we have influence and we teach them good principles, let them govern themselves. And of course, we expose them to the gospel and do our best we can. But then we just leave at the Savior's feet. And I love our doctrine of the plan of salvation that's this long view um, that, you know, your husband is Heavenly Father's son, mm -hmm. and he loves him, and he's going to do everything he can to keep your family together in the next life. And obviously in this life, what you're doing a great job of doing. And so maybe that's just relieving as an LDS parent because of our, if we really understand the doctrine of our church and the hope that you, the word you use that I love, that's the that's part, a pillar of our doctrine, then it allows us to just maybe relax a little bit Mm -hmm. And so I love that. I love also the way the scriptures, you know, I read the Book of Mormon regularly and I will read and, and receive different insights based on my current problem right. <laughs> I'm thinking about. Right. So I love the way you read that story in the context of your own family situation. I assume as a younger woman mm -hmm. or, you know, you read that and you had no idea that you'd be in this situation. So you never would have thought of it like never, that. Never, never. Mm -hmm. Um. Tell us about your marriage. It sounds like I don't, I'm not a therapist, but it sounds like obviously it was a difficult time when Jeb first talked to you. And then there was this calm kind of the new norm. Mm -hmm. And then there was this more recent time three years ago when you were wondering if this marriage might end and, mm -hmm. and you worked really hard again. Where are you right now on your marriage? Um, I feel like we are in a better place than we ever have been, which is shocking um, for me to say to myself, because here I am with him not coming to church now. Um, but I think what, you know, when we had that moment three years ago, we both wanted to work on it and we, um, I read some marriage books. 
things that really helped me, the Gottmans. I don't know if you've heard of them, mm-hmm. but they're amazing. Um, and it helped me get some perspective. Um, but also just the conference talks and everything reminded me that um, there's one by Elder Dorf, and I think it was originally for the priesthood, but it's called In Praise of Those Who Save. And he talks about how without charity, um, even seemingly perfect families can fail, but with it, even families with great problems can succeed. And so that kind of became my mission to understand charity more. And, um, and, you know, at the end of that, he says, charity never fails. So if you're not sure what to do or how to handle a situation, it reminds you that charity never fails. And so I've been able to share that with my children. That um, especially when he stopped coming, they were like, why isn't he coming anymore? And I just said, you know, dad, dad's just going through his own um, beliefs and his own journey. And you can talk to him about it. But no matter what, our job is just to love him. And, and when we don't know what to do, just so you know, charity never fails. If you're not sure if you're in a fight with your friend or anything, charity never fails. And um, in the beginning, I always thought, oh, charity, just love him, you know, and what is charity? But I love the scriptures in uh, Moroni 745. It says how what charity is, and it's so much more than just loving someone, right? It's seeking not your own. It's patience. It's long-suffering, being kind, enduring to the end. It's so much more than just, oh, I love you. And uh, as I read that um, a lot, I have I keep that like in my journal, and it reminds me that I, I still have a long way to go, like everyone else. But as I move towards that and work on that, that is when we have a peaceful, amazing marriage. And I still am imperfect, of course. And there are times I seek my own will, <laughs> what I want. But um, but most of the time, when I keep that in mind and I stay close to the Spirit, that is that is what I um, get. And that's how our marriage stays strong. And, and he in turn has come towards me and been so much more understanding, you know, and loving and okay with realizing I believe this way and he believes that way. And it's been amazing to learn these things. Are there gifts that have come into your marriage in a good way because of walking this road of two different faiths that feel like if we had never, if we were married twenty years and exactly the same, we wouldn't have some of these other skills in our marriage. Oh, so many, <laughs> so many. Because I feel, um, and maybe we would another path, right? There, we could have had another trial for sure. But um, I feel like we are very intentional reading books, and um, I mean, he doesn't always read the books, but I'll tell him about them, and he really jumps on board and works on it too. You know, just simple things like the five love languages changes so many marriages, understanding those things. And um, we had to dig into those things instead of just be passive about it. Has he been willing to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, he has. Um, A few of them we've read together. Um, And then also I'll listen to podcasts about marriage and we we just work on it all the time. And even me just... I think it's easy to get complacent sometimes. And I had to be the teacher in my home of the gospel. And so I had to say, I, I had a testimony, but how strong is it? Can I handle this? And I've really worked on my testimony and living the gospel, you know, living faith, hope, and charity, not just talking about it. And so I feel like that has strengthened us as well. It's very helpful for me to listen to you and, 
um, a thought comes to my mind is that, um, you know, some people say, Jeb, if you just, I don't think you'd say this now, but if you just prayed more, read more, or, or did the, the things, you could have faith. And I recognize faith is a hard thing to just manufacture from a set sort of, for me, I have faith, and it certainly is tied into reading and praying and temple attendance, but not everybody just has the gift of faith and just is able to believe. And so I've always been hesitant to, I invite people to do sort of the traditional things to develop faith, and maybe that will eventually work for Jed, but I, I recognize it's something maybe somewhat out of his control. I think behavior is more in our control. Mm-hmm. But then I recognize it's a beautiful love story that even though, you know, you can't manufacture faith for Jeb and Jeb can't manufacture that for himself, you've said, okay, what can we control? We can control our marriage. Nice. And so here's both of you being willing to do the hard things necessary to make your marriage work. And for sometimes for men in particular, it's a little hard to say, I'm going to read a book about how to be a better partner. and. Right. And listen to a podcast and be willing to sort of look inward and say, what do I need to do better to make this marriage work? Now, that may be true for women, too, and a man's willing, more willing to do that. But I think it's usually the men that don't want to do this. Right. <laughs> and so it's a beautiful chapter in your marriage that instead of defining your marriage by just Jeb's faith, you've said, well, let's kind of put that on a shelf and let's define our marriage by the things that perhaps we can control, which are um, and access all the very best resources to make our marriage work. And it sounds like you've got a great marriage in a really good spot. And my brother Dave is writing a book about sort of how do we minister to our members that have stepped away, these adult children that step away. And I wish I could quote him. He says, I quit having relationships based on outcomes from my kids. I love that. And just I have oh. relationships because they're worthy of having a relationship. Love that. Did he do surveys? Yes. By chance? I think I heard his story and I was so grateful. So. Yes. He's just really thoughtful and he's, you know, been a mission president, stake president, but he has adult children that have left. And so it's caused him to try to really understand from a, he's kind of a market research guy. So he wants to really understand. And so I love the way he says, I'm not worried about having empty seats at the table in the next life. I'm yes. not defined. I'm just leaving that at the Savior's feet. I'm worried about not having empty seats at the table in this life. Yes. So oh, I'm focusing on keeping that. our family together mm-hmm. and making sure everybody's welcome, even his adult children that don't fully believe or have stepped away. And and I thought, you know, that's probably a little more relieving. I can He can control that to some extent, assuming everybody's willing to participate in the family. Absolutely. And so I like where both of you are on that. And I, it's a credit. I, I just am touched by your story. One of the potential, I'm, one of the potential questions is when I talk to families that are new on this road is they've got young kids mm-hmm. and often the non-believing spouse wants to bring the kids his or her direction. And the believing spouse wants to bring the kids his or her direction. How do you navigate that in your family? And what advice would you have for others? That's probably the trickiest part for sure are the children and what to do with that. Um, and I, I don't pretend to know that I did it perfectly by any means. Um, in the beginning, it was very much, nope, we're doing everything the same, <laughs> except that you don't believe it. You know, and, and was he, would, he okay with that or did he? He was because he understood that this was just such a big thing for me and that's how we were married and in the gospel. And so 
um, you know, we can keep doing that. And so we would do family prayer and he just wouldn't say the prayer. We would do family scripture study. Um, and, and, and we do family night and often I would do the lesson. I, I really was kind of controlling about it. And, um, I was controlling with my children as well. And I've just had to learn a lot <laughs> that that doesn't work. That's not how people come to the savior. And so, um, there was a talk, this, I think it was elder Suarez said something about how, um, a bigger teacher is living an example. And by the way we live is showing gospel more than what we even teach or say. And, um, I, I've been learning that a lot, that, that showing my children that I love their dad, even though he's, you know, not, not in the church, I think is a better example than me just talking about it or reading about it. But anyway, so we, um, we would do all those things. And as time went on, he slowly, he was doing the dishes downstairs while I was up reading scriptures. And, you know, he kind of slowly pulled away from that. And I think it was hard, but he never, never felt bad that I was teaching them. He was okay with that. I know that's not every situation. Um, as we started coming to that moment three years ago that I told you about, I think what was really difficult for him was he felt trapped that, um, worried that if our kids questioned the church, that I would blame him and it was all his fault. Or if they came and asked what he believed, what was he allowed to say? Um, and I never thought of it that way until we navigated it, you know, until we, um, it approached us and our kids got older. So that's when he told me, I, I have to feel like I can be honest with our kids, but he would never try to get them to leave or anything, um, which is really respectful. Um, but yeah, it, it's been tricky. Um, even just baptisms and ordinations and all those things I think a lot of people don't think about. Um, when my oldest was baptized, I was they were young, so I was able to say, I didn't say your dad will baptize you. I said, you get to choose whoever you want to baptize you. And just made it, you know, an exciting thing. And he chose my dad and, um, or no, he, I'm sorry, he chose my brother actually. And um, so that was kind of special, but leading up to the baptism, it was such a terrible feeling inside for me because I thought, this is going to be so awkward. Everyone's going to know he's not baptizing them. He's, they're going to think he's sinning or something. Because I think a lot of people think that either my husband's been offended or he wants to sin or, you know, all these different things that our minds go to. And I love that your brother did those surveys trying to help people understand that's often not the reason people leave. Um, so I felt a lot of fear around ordinations and baptisms. And, um, but I had, I had a, I wasn't sure what my husband would think being there and he was okay with them being baptized, but I just didn't want him to have feelings about it. Or, or like, I just was so scared of everything. And then I changed my view on that as well. And I just started focusing on not all that noise leading up to the baptism, just about my child getting baptized. And that's what it was about. It didn't matter who did it. It was that's with the priesthood. Cool. You know, um, another thing that was tricky for us. That's really cool. Thank what you. What you just said. I love, oh, I didn't, I decided not to focus on all the noise around there. Noise you couldn't control. Right. I couldn't. And you just thought, you just went sort of 40,000 feet and said, I'm going to focus on the baptism and the ordinance of the baptism. And they were very spiritual and very special. Each one, all four of them, you know, uh, my oldest son baptized my youngest. That was really, really neat. That's so. really cool. And, and then even things like um, 
uh, you know, school blessings and all of that. You know, I had one every year growing up and I just wanted that for my children. And so those things felt hard. Um, but I, I just decided, well, they still deserve, you know, that special time. And so I told my husband, I'm going to do a special prayer with, with each one before school. And so I, he would kind of keep the other kids downstairs and away and let me take each one upstairs. And I would sit and talk with them and ask them what their fears were for the year, what they were excited about. And then we'd say a special prayer. And I didn't lay my hands on their head or anything. I just prayed about their year to Heavenly Father and let them know that their mom, you know, is turning to Heavenly Father and wants to help you. And um, he wants to help them. And um, it, I'm so grateful I had that experience. It was amazing. Um, I wish they had the other, but they didn't. And that's okay. Um, and even priesthood blessings in the night, if they were sick, I just said a prayer. I didn't feel like I had to call my bishop over or anything. And I, I absolutely believe in the priesthood, but I know that my prayers were heard. I had a lot of faith. I really like that. And I've always thought the priesthood is just, it's sort of, you know, God's power delegated to man get blessings. But I've always thought, oh, any prayer is just asking God for that same power to be used to bless somebody. It's just not delegated to the person that's giving the blessing to speak right. for God. So I think it's the same source of power. Mm -hmm, me too. And I love the way you recognize that. Um, yeah, this is a great story of just, you know, navigating really complicated stuff. And in our pretty, we want everything to fit in a church culture. You know, that's a tough road to go to a baptism and ordination and, mm -hmm. and to have your husband that you love and, and see the good in his life. But perhaps in a Mormon context, people see him as lesser or see him as not equal and not measuring up and not doing what he could do. And I admire you at times probably felt the same way maybe, but I admire you seeing him for the gifts he has and the ability to be a good husband and father, even if it's a different road than you planned and keeping your marriage together. I think angels rejoice, and I realize not every marriage can stay together. You're not sort of saying everybody do what you're able to do, but I do think this is a beautiful marriage and a beautiful love story. And I have to think, you know, as a grandparent, you're watching your own kids raise children, that they will look back to your marriage and and want to be like you and Jeb and want to be able to have a deep foundation of communication, trust, honor, honor, honesty, and vulnerability that allows you to have the foundation to navigate complicated stuff. And so perhaps you're teaching your lessons to your children you never imagined that they learn that are not traditional sort of primary lessons, but actually lessons that really help them mm -hmm. in their own marriages and their own parenting as they look back at the beauty of your marriage and the things that they learned in their home about how to manage, navigate differences and find common ground. You said a perfect thing about seeing him for who he is and what his gifts are, because I would say in the beginning, I didn't see that. And that's something I've learned. And I do think that's very valuable that my children see that. And, and I've shared with my family and um, some other people that I had a really big paradigm shift at one moment where I, he's a soccer coach. My husband, he's coached all our kids and he's really good at it. He played soccer in college and on the soccer field, everyone loves him so, so much. And everyone wants him as their coach and he gets a million requests that can't be on his team every, every season. 
And um, every time we walked on the soccer field, he was just so loved and seen as this amazing person. And, and I would have friends, you know, on the team that would say, you are so lucky that you have such an amazing husband. I can tell you have an amazing marriage. Um, your family's beautiful. And I just remember thinking, why can't I see that? Because I would go to church and I really feel like the people at church have been amazing and loving to him. Good. That's but great. you still feel like my family's a little less than, or or they see him as, you know, a terrible person for doing this to his family. Um, but he's not. And that's, I kind of realized I need to be seeing what the people at soccer are seeing more instead of how could he do this to us? And having that shift in thought has changed our marriage as well, is seeing that really through God's eyes and what he sees is um, key it's pretty tender. for every marriage, really. <laughs> I think of that. Elder Gay's talk where he talked about his sister and he used this kind of language. He says she was never really active in the gospel. I love that talk. And in, you know, he gave her a final priesthood blessing and he felt a rebuke from the spirit for not mm -hmm. seeing her as God sees her. And he gives these amazing quotes about from Joseph Smith and Brigham Young about seeing as God sees. And mm -hmm. I love, you know, I love you sharing that. And I think he basically you know, Alder Gay basically gave a, a talk that about someone off the covenant path that um, he saw as someone off the covenant path but didn't see. And he was really empathetic with her, his sister. He said, she dealt with things that I didn't de dealt with. Mm -hmm. And so maybe our loving God is aware of the difficult things Jeb's dealt with. Absolutely. With the father dying at age 13 and and some of the difficult things he's worked with and a loving Heavenly Father would would maybe even visiting Jeb right now if he were here and Heavenly Father said, Jeb, this is kind of where I thought you'd be, given mm -hmm. who you are and and the things you've had to dealt with, and maybe not be very maybe just invite him to keep moving forward and keep the door open and uh, keep his family together. And maybe that would be an incredibly surprisingly loving conversation with Jeb. <laughs> mm-hmm even though he may feel he's not even sure he's there at this point, right. maybe. And I think Heavenly Father would also just lift you and say, you have done a great job turning to me in prayer and thought and scriptures and keeping your family together. And you probably heard voices that came into your probably actual people that suggested maybe you ought to end this marriage because of this. Mm -hmm. And you've, I think we need to rely on our own personal, it's fine to listen to other people, but often that gets contradictory and overwhelming because everybody's got advice, including me. <laughs> so I think the best advice is to share principles without sort of direction and closing and encourage people to receive their own personal revelation. Go back to the kids because some of the couples I'm, one of the greatest is sort of the the non-believing spouse really exposes the kids to anti-Mormon stuff, or really tries to pull them out of the church, and they found this new information that's caused them not to believe. Um, and some of, and they just want to pull the kids, maybe not age five, but the teenagers and the college-age kids 
in their direction and almost sometimes prove to the spouse that they're right and that their kids should become non-believers also. How, any thoughts on that? Absolutely. There's a lot that I've seen. I'm part of a Facebook group that is for supportive, you know, supporting, because there's a lot out there for the anti yeah, and then not as much for the believing spouse. And so um, I've heard a lot of stories about that and um, it's very difficult. I think, um, I really think it comes down to basic marriage principles and if the spouse is doing things like that in that way, that is not even really a faith issue. That's really a marriage issue, a non-respect issue, a non, you know, there's a lot of things you can work on in a marriage that I think um, would bring peace to those types of situations. Um, I understand. That's pretty cool. That's not a faith issue. That's a marriaging issue. I think it is. Parenting issue. Mm -hmm. Communication issue, a respect issue. You know, it's a lot that to me is a foundation of a marriage. Um, Because no matter what the problem is, if you're that, if you're doing that type of thing, it's not going to bring, um, because one thing I realized is my husband and I are both wanting the same thing, really. We want our kids to be happy and, you know, be successful in life and, um, and make it and then have us feel happy and everything. So we're really working towards the same goal. And once I realized that, I realized we're, you know, I'm using the gospel to get us there and he's using values and all of that. And so if, if as a couple, you're not having that same goal, I think that's the problem. You know, if, if a spouse is telling the kids all these terrible things, trying to get them against the other spouse, that's not going to get you a home that has harmony where, where I see it as a home with the spirit. My husband sees it as a successful home that has good values, you know, and those things are not going to get you there. And so to me, you need help and counseling working on your marriage so that those things don't happen. Um, but it's the same on the other side. You can mirror that and say, if you have, um, a wife that does believe and she tells the kids, dad is terrible. He's not believing anymore. So he's, you know, a bad person or anything like that. That's not okay either. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. I, I love that. And I'm going to repeat it. So it it helps me learn when I repeat, Mm -hmm. but I love the way you said this is a marriage issue. And if you can kind of get to 30,000 feet or 40,000 feet and see the big picture here, what are the goals that we have? And those goals, like you said, are actually the same. We want the best for each other. We want the best for our kids. We want our marriage to work. Yes. And so if you agree at 30,000 and 40,000 foot level on those common goals, then you're, then it gives you context to manage the difference in faith. And you can not use it as a wedge to try to, if your goal is to keep the marriage together, then you can approach that discussion from you know, what is best to keep the marriage together and keep the family harmony together and keep both kids loving both parents equally, which is part of keeping a marriage together is to keep the kids. And so that's really helpful. It helped me so much. And and even if, you know, some people are against counseling or not, not up for that challenge. Um, and some spouses won't both read a marriage book, but even if just one does, um, one that helped me tremendously was John Gottman's seven principles that make marriage work. And I think it's chapter seven or one of the principles is to how to deal with unsolvable problems. And to me, I see this as an unsolvable problem in the context of it's not my job 
to solve it. And we may never come in this life to the agreeance on religion, but it's okay. And we can navigate it without solving that and just respecting and loving, loving each other for our individual journeys. And um, that helped me a lot. So if anyone, you know, unsolvable problems, unsolvable problems, everyone has them, whether you're dealing with faith issues or not. Um, so I just think working on your marriage is just as important. So um, tell us more just advice about the kids. Um, I just think that we can't, we can't control how our spouse shows up no matter what. It's just not in our control. So if your spouse, number one, I think work on your marriage, um, not just faith, but number two, you still can only control yourself. And if you, you don't have to join the negativity, you don't have to join in the, um, even if he's doing those things and hurting you, you don't have to hurt him back. And that example alone, I think is going to get you so much farther in your marriage and with your children, they'll see the difference between what, you know, your spouse is acting like, or you are acting like, and you need to stay in a place where you're living the gospel. And once again, even if all of that is happening, charity never fails. And it's enduring, it's suffering, it's, it's hard, <laughs> you know, but that's why we're here. And this life isn't really an option to not have trials. And this is your trial. And if you get divorced or and in some situations, you absolutely need to get divorced. I believe that for sure, um, especially if there's abuse involved at all. But we need to navigate these trials. That's why we're here. And we are given the gospel to do that. And so don't join in that. Don't join in that negativity. Let your children see. Um, Jody Moore, once again, shared that it's kind of like two languages in a home. You know, they um, Spanish and English or whatever. The kids will see the two different languages. And it's not like they get them mixed up like crazy in their mind. They know this is Spanish. This is English. And um, our kids are going to figure it out on their own eventually anyway. So just it's kind of amazing that they get that opportunity. But no matter what, if you believe still, still live the gospel because that will give you the strength. Go to the temple, keep going to church. It's hard, but you can do it. And, you know, I found a family where um, I'm really open in my ward. I want people to love my husband. And you're a Relief Society teacher and I yes. think a state camp director for next summer. Yes. And I always share, you know, in little ways that let's love each other and accept each other and I don't want to leave because I want to be part of the change of how people see others. I want to share that, you know, we need to accept LGBTQ. We need to accept inactive people. We need to accept someone that wants women to have the priesthood, even though those aren't how we feel or sometimes aren't in line with our beliefs. There's still people that God loves. Um, I got to share one more favorite quote, if you don't mind. Love your quotes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but this is from S. Mark Palmer. Then Jesus beholding him loved him. It was a couple of years ago. Um, and I have used this quote <laughs> for a lot of situations um, to help me. And where is it? Why can't I pull it up right now? Okay. Um, he was a mission president and he had a missionary that wasn't living up to what he thought he should be doing. I remember this <laughs> You remember <talk>. that? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so in, in the talk, he says, um, and he's talking about the mission president as a mission president and the missionary, but I change it to 
whatever situation I'm in. So in this case, my spouse. So he says, the question no longer is how does a frustrated wife get a struggling husband to behave better? Instead, the question is, how can I be filled with Christ-like love so my husband can feel the love of God through me and desire to change? How can I behold him in the same way the Lord beheld the rich young man, seeing him for who he really is and who he can become? Rather, and this part's really important, rather than just for what he is doing or not doing. And I think that is when I've gotten the most peace, is just trying to see his potential. And he's great now before that potential and noticing his gifts and how willing, what an amazing dad he is and an amazing husband. And I think in some situations that are new and fresh, they may not be seeing those things right now because I think the non-believing spouse is hurting and in pain. And sometimes, you know, I've always heard that anger is a secondary emotion. So if they're showing anger, it's often because of something else. And so I feel like we need to, you know, you always hear the analogy of the iceberg, right? You see what's on top. There's so much more going on underneath. And so I I heard something once that said, take your problems to the Lord and your love to your family. And I love that because you can go to the Lord and talk to him about the things you're struggling with, but just love your family and your spouse. And even if he's not showing love back, he will. I, I believe he will. You have some great nuggets. Thank you. <laughs> Powerful nuggets. Will you say that one, take your problems to Heavenly Father, take your love to your family? Is that yes. paraphrasing? I believe John Lund said that in a webinar what I heard. great. And I love the way you took uh, Brother Elder Palmer's talk from conference and put your own. We should all do that. I should, I've put my kids in there before. <laughs> I think that's, we often liken the scriptures to ourselves. We should right. liken conference talks to ourselves. And yes. I remember... The empathy that that um, that talk was to that missionary, and I thought that was very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just love, you know, I'm sure you sit in church sometimes and sit behind a, a f- young family, and there's a priesthood holder dad there who might even be on the stand now in a bishopric serving, and your husband's at home, and I'm sure that's at times difficult for you, and I, you know, and you wish that he were there and. Mm-hmm. Your boys, you have three boys, had that kind of a role model priesthood holder. And I guess being on this road for 15 years, I love the way you see your husband. And I'm sure that's maybe still difficult. Absolutely. So I, I don't want to say that yeah. you've gotten over that or that's no longer, but I'm sure that can, and I'm sure maybe some days are hard, the hardest days for you sometimes because you recognize you don't fit. Definitely. Um, and, and why it fits at the soccer game and everybody sees you all as this wonderful family don't see differences. I don't know if that's true. There are times, of course, it was like it would be, oh, this would be so much easier if I just didn't come and have to keep going through the struggle. Or if my husband would just come back, it'd be all better. Um, and I do. I get that twinge of, oh, I wish, you know, or whatever. However, because I've healed myself inside and I feel so much peace. Um, it's been okay. And, and I think what I realized the most, I used to see, um, the lost sheep, um, that the savior found out of the 99, he went after the lost sheep, the one. And I always pictured that being someone that was not at church or someone that was smoking and drinking and just totally lost as a person. 
um, just like I saw the prodigal son as someone that, oh, yeah, that's the person that's not at church. But the rest of us that are here, we're good. And I've realized that um, we all need the Savior. We are all the lost sheep, all of us. That's cool. And so I just kind of see it as my husband's, you know, struggles might be louder than some. But there are people sitting in church every week that maybe aren't even understanding what the gospel really is because they're judgmental or whatever it is, you know, that they're dealing with. Um, but I need to have compassion for them as well because, you know, at times I, it's been hurtful. Um, but I know they need the Savior just as much as my husband does. But we're all kind of on different levels, you know, and it's not my job to judge where my husband is because he is the most caring, like he loves dogs so, so much. And I get annoyed by dogs, but we have one. I love, I like dogs now, but um, he just has such compassion for animals and babies and people. And, you know, he cries in movies when someone's in a wheelchair, you know, whatever. He's just the most amazing person. And I feel that he is closer to God than some maybe sitting at church every Sunday. And, um, but they need the Lord just as much as he does. And I think that's, what's given me a lot of peace. And my kids all need the Lord too. I, an older woman, I kind of said this before, but, um, they all have a savior and I'm not it. I'm not their savior. I'm just their mom trying to, and, and the wife that, you know, is trying to learn to be like the Savior and love. Do you find since you talk about this a little bit and you're open in your ward and you've done a prior podcast that people reach out to you and say, I can talk to Rebecca um, about this or even other issues because you just can handle complicated stuff and you're safe for them to talk about, talk to. It has helped that I'm open. Um, I don't sit and share, oh, this is what my husband believes and this is, you know, all of that. But I share that, um, because a lot of people have looked, especially when he used to come, they thought our life was pretty perfect. He has a really good job and um, we're close. And uh, But I, I let people know it's not perfect for me either. And by being open, it has helped me a lot, but also people have felt safe to come to me. And I love that. I love that. And mm-hmm. well, It was interesting. Last night I did a podcast with a couple in their 60s. And you're obviously lots younger than that. Um, they've been married 40 years. You've been married 20 years. And I don't know if there were podcasts released before or after this one, but he's gay and she's straight. Mm-hmm. And they're both active in the church. And listening to her kind of navigate this was really interesting for me. And one of the personal revelations she received, and I don't infer that there's any parallels, but it's sort of like she got this revelation that God wanted this backpack of same-sex attraction to be a part of their marriage, and he picked up the backpack and wore, and, mm. and wore it for both of them. Mm. And he took on this cross, and I, I think the inference there is this would stretch them and bring them closer and help them be able to minister to other people and teach wonderful gifts to their kids. And I, it's pretty, you know, it's just interesting, her personal revelation, and it gave her great empathy for her husband. And obviously being married to a gay man is not, that's complicated, mm-hmm. um, and I. But you're walking a a, a a sort of a similar parallel with a mixed faith marriage, and so I thought to myself as you're talking, I thought, is this, you know, did Heavenly Father kind of know this would happen? He would just know Jeb well enough that this would be his road, and and he, and you both kind of knew that mm-hmm. this would be the road, and 
he knew you could handle it. And and even though there's, it's not a traditional road and you worry about your kids, it's also maybe helping your kids be the kind of kids they need to become. And I don't know if your kids will ever listen to this podcast, but I would assume that they are learning things um, that will really be helpful for them in their life. And some of your greatest paydays ahead of you as parents is just raising wonderful kids that you have a common goal and and seeing them raise kids with the framework and the skills and the communication and the honesty that you've role modeled in your own marriage. And I would just think that may be some of your greatest paydays. I really and, hope so. And even though this is kind of a really tough backpack to pick up and wear, um, the backpack your husband's wearing of not being able to believe, you know, I would hope that as you're sharing right now, there are blessings that have come, but I, no, I would lo- worry about the kids, you know, I'd worry mm-hmm. about where they're going to end up with their faith. And mm-hmm. I would just hope that there's, you know, you seem to be in a really good spot with that. Mm-hmm. Like I am. Um, any other thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, Rebecca, before we end? Um, one thing that just once again, bringing up the kids, because that is hard to navigate uh, at times is I do think that they are learning a different way that's helpful to them. Um, because even just when we've done come follow me, which was so inspired by the way, (laughs) I love, I love it. I always wanted what I taught my children to go with what was being taught at church because they needed that. And now that's what's happening. It's all joining together. And, um, just even talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they looked like they were righteous, good, faithful members of the church. They, um, they weren't, their hearts weren't in it. And just in that lesson alone, I told them, it's kind of like, like dad, you know, he's not there every Sunday. Um, but he's, his heart is closer to the gospel than many people. I know even sitting at church, a lot of people are there and maybe not quite as getting what the gospel is yet. And they need the Lord too. That's okay. Um, but I, I told them that, and I feel like they really, really get it. And um, a lot of people wonder, what can I say to my kids? And I think it's not really important what you say. What's important is how you are, how you show up when you talk to them. If you feel like it's going to be okay and you have faith, then they're going to be okay too. And, And I know that because in the beginning I didn't have that. And I've experienced the difference of sharing with my younger kids how confident I am that it's okay, that we're going to be a forever family. I still tell them that we're going to be a forever family because I don't know what that's going to look like. And I don't want them to feel fear that because their dad doesn't come where our ceiling is broken or anything. I just, I don't worry about those things. Um, I let the Lord worry about that. And, um, you know, I had a really neat experience once when I remember my bishop telling me to read the talk, what lack I yet. And I had a really hard morning with some other things going on, and I prayed that morning and asked the Lord specifically what I lacked. And as I was driving, I I went through this um, really p- beautiful um, patch of trees and drove by this forest, and I turned and looked over at the forest, and I just had the, the thought of the song, um, Oh, How Lovely Was the Morning. I had the thought but undaunted still he trusted. And undaunted means moving forward even when there's something's difficult. You know, you're, you're not, 
you're not stopped by that. Um, and so even though he, Joseph Smith was in the grove going through something difficult at the mom, moment, he still trusted in Heavenly Father. And I had an answer over and over that I just needed to trust in him. And, um, and that's what I knew I lacked was trust because I was trying to hold it all together myself. I was trying to, um, if you've heard the analogy of the volleyball court, like I was trying to play every position, you know, and I needed to let the Savior and the Lord and Heavenly Father do their part. And I need to let my family do their part. And I needed to let um, leaders and just people in my children's lives. I can't control it. And Daunted, still I trust him. Mm -hmm. I'll always remember that phrase because of this podcast. It's a wonderful phrase. It's helped me a lot. And almost everything I learn, I try to write in my journal so I don't forget. That's a good tip because <laughs> it's helped me multiple times. You know, I'm thinking about your kids still, and I'm thinking, you know, they know they can talk to mom and dad about stuff going on in their lives. One of the, I guess I kind of look for silver linings and blessings of complicated situations, and I would think your kids, I'm imagining being one of your kids, kind of aware of my parents are different places with faith, and they've created a lot of space for each other and have said a lot of kind things about each other. And I think if I'm a kid growing up in your family, I'm going, I may not have a question about faith, but I have a question about depression or about this or that. Mm -hmm. And I probably think I can go to my parents and talk to them. So I would think that is one of the blessings of the culture you've created in your marriage is the byproduct, your kids sensing that and being able and wanting to open up to you and being safe. I assume that's happened. <laughs> well, I hope so because, you know, I, my, initial feeling is kind of a controlling parent, right? And sure. that's like, wow, it's just so much easier if you do it how I want. And uh, um, through all this, I've learned so much, especially I have a couple of kids, we won't name any names that do not do well with that type of, <laughs> of way. And so this has taught me already. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend I was perfect, you know, all this time, but I, I feel like they're learning that um, I care about them and I love them. And I'm going to try to see them as Heavenly Father does. But in the beginning, I was definitely more controlling. And I'm grateful for who I've become through this trial. It's helped me be a better mother and continue to grow as a better mother. And I hope they feel that way. I love that. And I love what you said earlier about creating space for people at church if they believe differently and even used about um, women being ordained and and I think, it, you know, I think about that. There's just lots of people with different feelings about um, our church um, that may not be completely our doctrine or our practice. And I, so do we just invite all those people to leave? <laughs> and sort of Elder Uchtdor says there's no sign at our door that says your testimony needs to be this high to enter. Right. So I think you're creating space for people to have different feelings about women's roles in the church, LGBTQ, and and I guess it becomes a problem if people are trying to, if one is trying to pull other people to their point of view versus just honoring their point of view. Mm -hmm. And so if someone opens up and says something like to you as a trusted friend and says, I think women should have the priesthood, I think it's, you know, I think we just honor that individual feeling um, and not use that as a litmus test to be someone that's welcome in our congregation. I right. think of... A wonderful teaching moment I've shared here last summer. We were on trek with our stake, and the senior couple was ready to take us up to Martin's Cove from Daniel's Cove. Mm -hmm. And 
And the senior, it was going to be the pinnacle spiritual experience for the youth. And we had prepared them in Daniel's Cove. And we walked, before we left, the senior couple said, some of you will not feel the spirit. Some of you will get in that testimony meeting where everybody's talking about the spirit and you'll have felt nothing. And I asked him later why he said that. And he says, because it's true. Some will get up there and not have a spiritual experience. Many will. But if they sit in that testimony meeting and hear all these spiritual experiences and they probably won't bravely share that they didn't feel that way, then they'll just conclude they don't belong. Mm-hmm. And so for, I, I love what you're teaching. We need to create space for our members. You know, we all have a desire to come into Christ and to do our best. And there's a, maybe some people that don't want that anymore. But I, I love creating a culture where it's safe to feel differently and believe differently. And I've always felt it's harder to control belief um, than behavior. Um, And, you know, so I just think behind different testimony types, there's somebody doing the very best they can. So I sometimes think, and I don't want to make it sound simple for Jeb, that if we created, not you, but the culture of the church and conversations had created more space for Jeb, if he could have stayed, I don't, you know, it's not fair for me to, if Jeb were sitting here in this empty chair, we've got an empty chair here. I think Jeb would probably say it's a little more complicated than that, Brother Osler. So, <laughs> um, and I've heard some pretty complicated stories, so I'm sensitive to that. But I do think we maybe can keep more staying by creating space for different levels of belief. Absolutely. And even, even what you said is, um, I don't think I would have thought through these things if I hadn't gone through this. And there's a lot of things we say in the church and that we don't realize is maybe affecting someone else. And just the way I even teach my kids about filling the spirit is very different than I maybe would have before. Um, you described with those youth. Um, I, I just shared something about, um, feeling the Holy ghost is so different from, for everyone or some get emotional, but some don't, and that's okay. And some, you know, need logic for their testimony and some need experience and some need to feel it, you know, and it's just different for everyone and that's okay. And I don't think I felt that before or understood that. Um, and I, I wish, I wish more people, I think John, by the way, writes a good book about that, but, um, it's important for people to understand that because someone like even my son, I remember him feeling like he didn't feel what everyone else was feeling. He's watching all these people cry and get emotional. And he's like, oh, I guess I don't believe because, and that that's a start, you know, for someone feeling like I don't belong and I'm not quite as spiritual as all these other people. And it's important to understand that's not true. It's a great concluding thought, unless you have any other thoughts you'd like to share with us, Rebecca. I think that's it. Just that once again, charity never fails and charity is a lot more than just loving there's a lot lot to it. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Rebecca, Rebecca Buffington from Atlanta and mother of four kids, married for 20 years. And I learned so much from our guests. It's such an honor for me to have you. And I, rec- you know, and um, the things that you've taught me and our listeners and your unique personal revelation and insight. And I love you've turned to the scriptures, to conference talk, to other LDS authors and other experts in marriage counseling. And the humility for you and your husband to do that, I think that's just a sign that you have these common goals and you have a great life ahead of you. And 
I do just have this little hunch in my mind, this impression keeps coming back that you're going to be a grandma one day and Jeb's <laughs> going to be a grandpa. <laughs> and you're going to look back at the decisions you've made over the last 20 years in this mixed faith marriage, and there's going to be some real paydays. Mm. I don't exactly know how those will look. Um, I'm not sure it's, but I just think you're going to have some incredible paydays where you just look at each other and you recognize that what you've done is bless the lives of your kids and their ability to be excellent parents. And maybe one of the greatest paydays we have is when our own children become adults and get married and, and become parents. And we see the kind of, and we see them being good parents. And we recognize that's partly because of what we did as a parent. Mm. So that's one of my feelings about mm. your future. And I realize you're a long ways from being a grandma. I think. <laughs> Probably not as far as you think. Um, <laughs> And so thank you, Rebecca, and all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.